Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and recently I grew a beard. This chat is with Sean Krause, who is originally from St. Louis. Now, Sean went to CalArts, and he's a big CalArts fan, by the way, and after which he got hired at Pixar right before Toy Story kicked off. He then spent over 20 years being an animator and an animation supervisor at Pixar, where he worked on films like Toy Story, Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Up, and Soul. Now, recently, he switched up gears and joined the team at Spire Studios as their creative director of animation and story. And in our chat, he's going to share some of the really interesting behind the scenes of what it was like working at Pixar in the early days and how he worked his way up to where he is now. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Sean. How are you doing tonight? (laughs) I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. (laughs) I'm great because we're talking. That's uh, this is the highlight of my day. (laughs) Um, This is fun. Yeah, well, let's not waste any time and just jump into it. So you are like a Pixar veteran. You're working at this new studio, Spire, now. But tell me, you know, where did baby Sean, after he could walk <laughs> and talk and learn to draw, how did he end up where he is talking to me right now on this podcast so <laughs> many years later? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm from St. Louis. I'm from the Midwest. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, I loved animated films. The first film that I um remember seeing as a kid my mom took to see Pinocchio one of its re-releases and that just made a huge impact on me so I, I just there was something about it that I just was fascinated with about and I had one of those view viewmaster viewers oh yeah and so so you could kind of crank them forward or backward and it was you could watch framing and timing and spacing and and it was just like the magic trick of why that was all working and fun and I would I just got fascinated with that so I would make little flip books and then I saw Frank and Ollie, my parents would let me stay up sometimes and watch the Tonight Show. And so Frank and Ollie were on the Tonight Show and promoting the illusion of life. And I'm like, I gotta get that book. And so there was very little, you know, I think animation was kind of in a lull uh, as an industry around the late seventies and early eighties. And um, when that that came out, I just devoured that. And I looked all through that constantly. And um, so, it was kind of in the back of my head. I went into art. I studied art uh, at the University of Missouri in Columbia, but I always wanted to do animation. So I was at the, I was down at uh, Disney Florida and they, they had had the, uh, the studio down there at the time. And they had the, well, I guess it was called the fishbowl or something. And I but just knocked on the glass because I saw someone walking by to get their attention. And so someone was, I, don't, I wish I knew who it was because I'd thanked them. Um, and um, they came to the, the door and I said I'm looking to how do I get into this you know and clearly they got this all the time and they had a little piece of paper there and like here here's this but CalArts is the school to go to and then it had a ringling on it and they had all these other schools I, they must have gone to CalArts too so applied to CalArts and that was like my entry and like when I when I went to CalArts it just felt like going home it was just all the things that I was nutty and obsessed with and geeking out on we all spoke the same language there and so, um, so I was only I was only at CalArts for a year, and it was, but it was a cool year. It was it was um, during the well, you know, it was terrible to have an earthquake, but because of the the Northridge earthquake, on the the second half, you know, the second semester, January to the end of the year, we weren't in the CalArts building. We went over to Lockheed, and we were it kind of bonded us all in that in that era and that generation. Um, we were all there. I mean, Sanjay Patel was in my class. Mark Walsh, um, Stephen Gregory, Tasha um, was in my class. And um, uh, so it was, it was a nice 
you know, Court Bobby Podesta. So it was a real fun group of people that I, you know, I've seen for many years and worked with at Pixar for many years. Um, they were in that in that class, but we all kind of lived under our desks. And and then that was the first year that the, previously CalArts would have their producer show in this tiny little theater in the building. And we couldn't do it in the building because the earthquake had messed up the, the campus. And so we had it actually um, away from there for the first time. And they still do that to this day, I believe, where we'd had it at the, I want to say the Television uh, Academy Museum uh, screening room. So we all got to be there because in the old building, I heard that when you didn't see it all, only when your film came up, you could go in, listen to the reaction, then you'd leave the next kid would come in or student would wow. come in. And oh, no. So it was all producers in that room. It was so small. But now everyone could sit in the same theater and watch this together. So, and I remember I, I, um, I knew someone at the time who, um, it happened in all departments. I think they let the, mu the music department go use resources down in Hollywood. And I knew someone who worked on the Jay Leno show. And so everyone really opened their doors to, I think Herb Alpert let the musicians come down there. Everyone really opened their doors to all the artists at CalArts. So it was a really exciting, interesting year in a lot of ways to be there. Um, but I got into the into our producer show that year. Um, and then I'm sorry to back up just a little bit. My teacher who was Larry White, who was our animation teacher, showed us the five Pixar short films. And they showed like the Luxo Jr. And they showed us uh, Wally B and all the little things they had done. I knew nothing about Toy Story. But I just, when I saw that, it was like a lightning bolt went off. Like, cause I'd always wanted to work at Disney. But when I saw those short films, it was like the Muppets meets Disney meets Warner Brothers. And so uh, I was like, I gotta work there. And so Pete Doctor saw my film at the CalArts show and, and he said, hey, you should come up and check it out. So I was in the short, I was in the, actually the commercials group at, 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 Cal, at uh, sorry, CalArts, at, at uh, Pixar at the beginning with Darla Anderson and. So wait, you, you quit school after one year because you got this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it was expensive for one thing. Right, <laughs> so right. I was like, I need, to, I need a job. So um, I had a short stint. I worked over the summer at a place called Creative Capers in Glendale. And then um, and then during that time, they had been Pixar had been talking to me. And so when I went up there to meet them, I was like, oh, this is where I want this to be. Is it. So have you ever regretted not finishing your degree or what or whatever you were pursuing, like all these years later? Yeah, I did I did because I, you know, I wonder sometimes would I have done the same thing or just I would have had that time to really figure out, you know, what was my true sensibilities. Cause I was just sort of at that, that your first year, I, I feel like yeah. you're just wanting to regurgitate and learn and do the things you'd seen done before. And how can I do that magic trick? How can I get my foot, you know, and, and understand this? And then I feel like the more years you go on, you, of course, you're gonna. I wasn't working with sound yet, even so. I, I didn't get get to experience like asking someone in the music department to help and one of the actors to help. So it was all just my silent, you know, first film. So it was just, it was so, just a silent film. Well, it had music behind it, but it was okay. there was no there was no um, um, dialogue. But yeah, I, I you know, I and I loved the school so much. I would have loved to have gone, gone, gone back and done more in a lot of ways. But um, I think it's like when I went to when I started at Pixar, I would be jealous of the people who went to CalArts for four years, and then they would be jealous because I had a 
a, a regular degree. I went, I went to get a BFA from my first degree before I went to CalArts. And they maybe they saw that as like they missed out on that. But I'm like, yeah, you didn't miss anything. But uh, <laughs> no, but it all added up. I think that all that time when I was doing um, painting and drawing at CalArts, or sorry, at, at Mizzou, that primed me. I didn't have to do as much um, learning. I was mm -hmm. kind of, I had a little bit of the life drawing under my belt by the time I went into CalArts. Um, so it helped me with, with the, the drawing part of it. What do you think made your film stand out that uh, Pixar, I mean, Pixar wasn't the huge business it is now, but what do you think <laughs> yeah. made you stand out to them uh, way back then in the early days? I don't know. I mean, maybe, I mean, mine was very much a, in the vein of a Warner Brothers kind of like, you know, a lot of blurred frames and, you know, kind of like a, a dog and a, and a kid missing his bike. So maybe it was because it was a full, thought through animated film hmm. and it was and it was I think it was longer than some of them so it was done for the most part there's only I think two two shots that I didn't finish um you know and it had some some laughs and so maybe it just because it was you know maybe because I was a freshman that there was something to lean into of like potential I don't know and so they they took a chance and you know and I think also it, we always in those early years I don't think a lot of people my impression was uh, not everyone was really believing in computer animation. Mm. Um, so I imagine that they were searching for, you know, talent. So they, they were a little more, it, it, I, I, we always, we always would say, if I showed what I did then now, I would not be working at, at Pixar, you know, <laughs> but it, it was good timing, you know? And, um, and I remember though, because I was when I was at Creative Capers and I was doing like you know CD-ROM games. That's how long ago that was. But I was doing CD-ROM games, and I remember you know it was one thing to do your own film and have it be a, a passion project of like changing things, but you would have a pose and then you change that pose. Well, you're doing all the in betweens as well, so it was it was a lot of work, and my drawing skills went way up, but it was exhausting. So I remember my on the trip up when uh, Andrew Schmidt showed me. Uh, um look here's a ball and i and i can change the timing and i was like that's all free all that spacing is free i'm like oh my god so that was a big like plus <laughs> to me like man and then also the fact i think that it really appealed to me is that out of the gate you were doing your work um now i, I think i think you know by not having to be an in-betweener or you know an assistant or a cleanup artist that's a lot of skills that you're not learning but at the same time we were animating our own scenes. They were on the screen. So it was too attractive to, right. to turn, you know, I want to learn the hard way, you know? So, and I kind of got enough, you know, I learned just enough to kind of, kind of know about it, but I never had to do timing charts. I never had to do those things. So I'm always in awe. Like I, I work with Mike Surrey at, 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 um, at Spire. And I mean, he, he was, you know, a, a great, you know, traditional animator, you know, and, you know, any nominated. And so uh, it's that whole generation, but especially the nine old men's generation, the, they invented this thing that I, I still can't, can't believe I'm such in such awe what, what they did and what they could do with timing and not, not having the vocal to sit and just watch it live and adjust your dialogue and to get better and better. And we have so many ways that that um, it's still challenging and difficult and amazing. I am not not 
you know, taken away from what we do now with the computer, but the, the artistry involved in those early days was just mind blowing to me. So I have a huge, huge appreciation for all that. And you, can you do timing charts now or is it still a mystery to you? Yeah, it's still, <laughs> well, I, I understand them, but I, you know, I, I've never done them. No, I never, we, no, I have never done a timing chart. So, so, so tell me about your uh, tenure at, at Pixar. You were there from the early days, just as a, you know, started as a, I guess, a junior animator, like fresh out of college. And then, you know, 20 something years later, tell me about how that, how that went. <laughs> and like, how did you, well, uh, you know, when you started, like, how did you learn all you needed to learn with 3d and get up to speed and, all those things. Well, I mean, what I will say, it was the luckiest break ever. And it's hard, you know, it's hard work and it's timing and all that. But, you know, I, when I wanted to be an animator, I just wanted to have a job. I just loved it. I just wanted to do it. So to, to land at a place like Pixar, right at the big boom of it all, and not even know about Toy Story, the dumb luck of just going, I like what you do. Yeah. And then, oh, you're making a movie? You know, <laughs> you know it's like, wow. So, um, when I went up there, I think they were on a hiatus from hiring for the feature. Um, and Darla Anderson was uh, running the commercial group. So Darla and Corey Ray were um, producers in, the, in, in that group. Jan Pinkova, um, who directed, uh, you know, one of the directors of, um, of Ratatouille um, before Brad uh, uh, came in. Um, he was in the group, Bob Peterson, the hilarious Bob Peterson, who just did those Doug, Doug Day shorts and so many great characters at, at, uh, at Pixar. He was in the, in the group and we were doing commercials. And so my first thing was like a Chips Ahoy commercial that I, I did with, uh, with Bob. And, um, and I remember my, 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 my storyboards were the most rendered pencil painted, <laughs> like photo reel looking boards. I still, we still crack up on how much, you know, work we put into it to impress, you know, and, because I love doing it so much. And so we did those. And then Darla was really, really phenomenal. Um, I'm always grateful to her too, because, well, one, she hired me. because it was, And so I'm always grateful for that. But she, uh, you know, let, let me do my first kind of um, uh, directing uh, roles there where Jan had done a, a, a Twizzler spot. And when it got to a point where um, we were kind of spinning our wheels on something, I had some ideas. And so... Um, through finishing it, she gave me a co-director role on that, on that commercial. And then I did a, we were pitching some ideas for a Levi's jeans for women um, a commercial and they liked my idea. So Dallas said, do you want to direct it? So she gave me, you know, two re really great learning experiences um, when I was doing that. And um, so I was having a, having a great time. And back then um, Toy Story was under a different kind of company umbrella called high tech tunes. And so, you know, they were kind of separate doing their things and we were doing, Pixar was doing these commercials. And at a certain point, it was all hands on deck. So they said, do you guys want to come work on Toy Story? And so I remember me and Bob were just like, yes, of course, you know. So that was how we got kind of pulled into Toy Story. So we did layout, I think, for like 10 weeks. And then we got to do animation for 10 or 12 weeks until the film wrapped. So that was a huge experience and then what did you animate on toy story just curious um i did uh the very beginning of the credits are on there when when they when you see like um andy's hand hold woody out and it's just yeah. his pov of the hand 
and then gets whipped off. I did that. And then I did, um, you know, it was just kind of helping out learning, you know, like the army men had like crawled into the, uh, into the shrubs as the boy, the kids ran by and the balls bouncing. I did the, the boy, the ball bouncing and the kids running <laughs> down the hall. And, um, and then I did a, I, I did a scene with, uh, where Sid was like destroying Buzz, I think it was, was he's pulling apart, you know, and you only saw him from behind. And I think the whole thing got cut or it got really truncated because it looked too violent, they said, you know, for what, what was going on. And, um, uh, but I got off easy because I think, you know, uh, Rich uh, set, had uh, one of the, the, the supervising animators had um, lead, I'm sorry, lead editors, directing animators had like a, a whole huge chunk of his work pulled out but the sad thing is he couldn't even save it because his machine it was called bandits crashed and all his all his scenes were gone so it was a real shame because it was a lot of really great stuff he had done so um um anyway so i did i did a handful of shots i think i did one in a, in a, in a bag that when they threw on the bed and they were inside the the backpack I remember how how incredibly hard it was to i mean to animate a backpack a real like floppy backpack because it was we didn't have near the controls that we had now. I mean, even the hands of the, of the characters' hands, we didn't have the opposable thumb. We had like a, a joint there. And so you couldn't do like a proper a proper fist. And I don't think there was even shoulder either up, down or forward or back. I don't, you know, so it was like, there was been a lot of limitations to what we could do back then. Oh, and no driving system. That was that was a painful thing. I did a shot of the minivan pulling into the into the gas station but the wheels aren't locked. So it was a, you could not, not have it not slide and the wheel rotations matching the speed. And it was brutal. Well, I didn't notice any of those things when I watched it and when I was like 10 years <laughs> old. So you did, you did fine. <laughs> so, so you, you know, you, you start this at this new company called Pixar, you're working on commercials. It's fun and games. You get your first directing gig and you're really excited yep. and then uh you know all that pays off and you start working on on pics uh, sorry on toy story did it ever become like this all sounds like fun in games but when did the <laughs> when did the hard work and like all that perseverance and and stuff kick in for you well i mean honestly it was never hard work it was okay, always never mind <laughs> I, I mean it was hard to do it was it yeah. was it was challenging but it was from day one. I mean, it was like, but you didn't, we all, I think that's one of the reasons places like Pixar and Disney and DreamWorks um, are do so well is that everyone, you kind of gather overachievers. You grab, I mean, and not to say I'm, I'm an overachiever, but you're so, you love what you do so much that you're just, I mean, I slept at, yeah. at work many times because I just wanted to get better. I just wanted to see. Like overnight. Obsessed on it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you stay there because you're just obsessed, and um, and so uh, um, yeah, you just it. So it was always hard, but it wasn't yeah, ever an issue good, or a problem. Challenge. Well then, well then, give me some highlights from uh, you know your career at, at Pixar, like some things that stand out to you, and and maybe also some big learnings that you experienced too in terms of animation and storytelling and performance. Um, well, I remember. Um, they just going reaching back like there. Why? Well, I know initially, and this might hold true. I think to how people work now too, too and especially for people who might be coming in, because it's the one thing I did miss, and I don't have a lot of experience. Only I and I drew for so long, and I would do flip books, and I and I animated a bunch 
at CalArts and then in my, at, at Creative Capers. But what I remember is the visceral feeling of your head and connecting to your hand and the energy of a, a line you're choosing to draw. That was the one thing that I did miss about that direct connection that you have to that feeling um, that it's more like animating with, with mitts on because you know, you're removed from yeah. this thing. Like, like when I talked to Mike, he says, you know, one of the things, the best things about, you know, doing that is when you, when you draw a character, it, it's your, it's your drawing. It's like, you can always draw, you always have that, you know? So when we would, when we draw our thumbnails for joy or, you know, um, molt or whoever, it, you know, it, you're not going to render it just like the <laughs> what you saw on the screen. It's too the computer's so detailed. So you do a shorthand version of it, you know, and and you're not. No one's ever going to look at your drawing and go, "Oh my God, that's joy," <laughs> you know. They might recognize the graphic image of it, but it's it's different than you know drawing Pinocchio. You know, it's so. Um, what I would say is that one of, one of the things that that I remembered was going in, and I used to kind of get really specific and lock down a lot of frames. I could do a hand pose here and a, and a gesture here and I want to get this arc. So I'd put it here and I put a lot of knots down on, on a frame. So you have your, a linear knot representing X, Y, and Z values, you know, and you, when those combination of things give you your, your shape for what you're doing. And so with like bell curves you're, you're messing with. And I remember just getting to a point where I was so frustrated with changing things I just started to strip out anything that looked kind of extraneous. And I was shocked that it actually played better even than all those specific notes. So it, it was a big aha moment to go, oh, just be really clever and smart about how you want to time this. Or you don't need to get microscopic with your details for these poses unless you're doing something very purposeful for yeah. So you're, you're saying like, think less about the, the like in between poses where you're like micromanaging what's happening versus like more of a freestyle loose. Well, it's always make it sim simplify as much as you can because okay. the more the more noise you got going on in your if you're using splines or if you're just breaking down everything. Yeah, there's going to be hitchiness in what you're doing, or it might take away from the freshness of um, of what you're doing. It was just a moment where I, I learned I didn't have to put down a pose on every frame. It was. Ah. Okay. It would play out, you know, um, play out differently. And I will say that, you know, I don't know how much, this is seriously, I don't know how much modern students or people coming in think about spacing the same way someone who, like I learned a just enough to kind of know about it, you know, timing and spacing and all that. And if you're, if you're relying on your splines or everything, you're going to get a swimminess, I think, to things. So I think it's helpful to think about things by in a frame way um, because it's going to give you those impacts that you want to feel or snappiness or a pop that you want to feel. If you try to smooth everything out, it's going to feel kind of muddy. So I, sometimes I, 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 you know, I, you know, we stop talking about frames, you know, in dailies I found. And I think that's important to always keep, remember wow. where this came from, you know, so what would be an example? Like uh, in dailies, you're like, by frame 10, I want the 10, 10 frame. By frame 100, I want the impact. And then frame 150, I want like a settle, like instead of... Well, well, I think it's more like the, the most specific one I can think of is when you have like a, a slow out mm -hmm. or, or a slow in or whatever. 
um, you can do it with with a with a with a with a spline of a bell curve. Yeah. But sometimes you want to have a really specific crescendo, you know, like break ah. to it, or, or 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 you hit something and have a reverb. And so it's just sometimes it, it's just always great to kind of think about that because it might be better in those frames if you kind of get a little more detailed or think of it in a way of. Uh, of, of of like you're shooting this and you and you have to think of frames. It's not just flowing right. live makes, on a camera. That makes sense because it, it just it gives a nice texture to it. Yeah, I get the I get the swimming swimminess comment now that you that you made. In in <laughs> in the same light, are there things like you know you've been animating for so long and character performances and things like that? Are there things that uh, you make sure to include to make something seem more alive to the audience or give it like a a more real feeling versus, you know, we're just looking at shapes on a computer that are playing back. And I think there's like a difference between like, okay, animation and good animation. And then like chef's kiss animation, you know? So are there, are there things in that chef's kiss animation that, <laughs> that's uh, give it that life? Uh, well, I mean, well, okay. One thing we, that Mike and I talk a lot, a lot about is that, um, we feel there's a limit to, to how much reference someone should lean on. Like it's mm -hmm. great to shoot reference and everyone uses it and everyone does it, but it, but at times we'll see people um, just going straight by the, by the reference or an idea that because something looks natural or something looks realistic, as impressive as that illusion or trick is, it's about exaggeration. It's about, you know, caricature. And so, um, it's, you know, you know, Ward Kimball is as wonderful look at his stuff as is to look Frank Thomas's or Milk Calls or whoever you want to say. I'm just using those guys because those are the guys I looked at. But it's great to, to vary and put in extreme stuff too, but just be restrained about it and also have naturalism in there. One's not better than the other. It's just what, when is it appropriate? And it gives it texture. And so a lot of times I would shoot reference and I would just chop it up to the, the bits I liked. I wouldn't try to do the straight performance and just copy what I did. And not that people are always doing that, but I, I would do that. And then there's just going to be things in, in between that you can't reference, you know, like action things or scramble or, a, you know, you hit the wall just the right way that looks good versus you just hitting a wall and trying to copy that, you know, so it's it's always like um, you know just because something is you can shoot reference for it doesn't mean you should just only do that. Even when you know you know they you know two D animators would um, trace you know I think again think of Illusion of Life they they had actors dancing they wouldn't just trace it they would use it as a reference and then they would exaggerate on top of it and that made it not feel like you're just rotoscoping something and it's very dry and clinical so. It just gives that spark to it that feels like you're not just watching, you know, it's like photorealistic painting versus impressionist painting, you know? Um, so, okay. That so that, yeah, that's, sense. yeah. It's, so like, that's, it's like shoot the reference video, but use your judgment on when to use it based on the senior or the story that you're animating. And don't yeah. forget exaggeration because that's what animation is about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did a shot of Joy in Inside Out that I had a lot of fun doing. And I always wanted to kind of make, you know, if I could, you know, my thought on those characters was always kind of don't just 
try not to only do like a cartoony scramble because we know how to do that. But uh, in this case, it was a cartoony scramble. But like, could you um, could you find ways to kind of have their energy inform the performance because it, it felt right, not because I've seen it done before. And in this case, it was a little bit of that. I had she goes, oh, I know how to fix that, and she scrambles over a chair. But she's moving, so when she's talking really quick, you're never going to see her face. And I had her fingers doing this, and for me, that kind of the finger bits felt like her talking. So visually, it felt like the chat that she was talking still. And so I, I just kind of liked the way that felt exaggerated, you know? Yeah, I like that example too because it's like you know it's a very visual performance, and and it comes across like perfectly. That's that's a good example. Um, why don't we chat about uh, why you decided to you know leave your career at Pixar and go to Spire like what was the decision process in in that and why <laughs> well um you know it wasn't easy I love yeah. Pixar and I loved working there and it was fantastic but I think um you know you get to a point where you want to you want to grow and do more and I, and I would think I was feeling like by the time I'd hit uh, inside out certainly you can always learn more and more about animation you know or being it being a better animator but i i'd kind of scratched that itch and so where when, were you where were you at the point of inside out like what were you were a supervisor you were an animator you were director of yeah of pixar like <laughs> <laughs> so i yeah i saw about in like 2007 or eight, i want to say up was my first time i was brought up to a directing animator yeah. so for pixar i was directing animator and a supervising animator so i was a directing animator on up and then um, I was a directing animator uh, or a supervising animator on Cars 2. And then I, then I continued and was a, super, a supervising animator on, uh, on Inside Out. And so I had done the leadership role a few times. And, and even before that, I had done theme parks. I always loved theme parks. So I had directed a couple um, or helped direct some of the theme park projects. So I had a lot of leadership that I had done over, over the 10 years or so. And it was great. It was wonderful. But especially on Inside Out, we were doing the most push stuff and subtle human animation we were looking at and, and exploring. So when you start to get in the leadership roles, you're starting to see bigger part of the process. You're starting to see like, um, you're, you're talking to the story team more. You're, you're, you're not thinking about your shot anymore. You're thinking about the arc of a film. You're thinking about sequences and then you're starting to think of the big picture more. And, and um, along with, you know, you know, hopefully trying to help bring the best out in people and support the the team you're with, but also get the director what he what he needs for the screen. So um, I started to go from really wanting to see my performance on the screen to to not needing that. You know, mm -hmm. my my feel my sense of satisfaction came out of my contribution to the film, but it also started to look at the storytelling aspect more from a cinematic way and, and a, and a storyline way than a character moment, um, even though it's all rooted in character. And so that started to pull me that way. And I think at first I, I just didn't know what to think about. I wasn't in touch, you know, with that sense, like, what am I feeling? I, you know, I'm, I, I love animation. I'm an animator, <laughs> you know? So when I started to get pulled that way, it was, it was strange and you built a career in one direction. Yeah. And and when you kind of accomplish more than you ever thought you would accomplish or knew you where, where you'd went wind up, how do you set your compass to the next challenge? Especially in a in a, a very large studio, you know, because 
you know, there's one, I mean, will your salary be the same if they let you go do something else? You know, um, how does that work? How does that transition work? How are you going to be okay to be, you know, older than people who are coming in and doing this and are really great at this and that's what they've done and you're learning this, but you've been there for that long. And there's all the kinds of like things to navigate. And that didn't bother me as I was, I had fun. Like I, like they, they, they let me go into in the story a little bit and, tr- and, and, and work on that. And, and we contribute in different ways over the years. And, and we certainly give notes on screenings and all that, but it was like, do I, you know, should I go and be a, a story person, you know, going and, and, and do storyboards and all that. And what's that transition like? And um, uh, will I be as successful at that as, as I was at the other thing? So um, anyway, that that's when I started to kind of feel that that was scary and exciting at the same time. Um, Cause you're giving up something that you've succeeded at too. And, but I, but I just knew that I was just kind of getting a little, you know, antsy. And so like anywhere, you know, the higher you go, you know, into the pyramid, you know, if you want to direct, everybody wants to direct. Right. And so there's only a few runways, but there's a lot of really deserving, talented people that want to do the same thing. So I think for me, I just felt like, you know, the, the only way that I, that I can really make a, a, a clean break and, and, and do this is to, is to kind of find, make that happen. Um, and like so not wait, not wait for something to open up at Pixar specifically yeah, and, you should, and you should, look for an yeah. opportunity where you can move into that right away. Yeah. And I would say that's a mistake of, of mine too. Like one, I think mindfulness, I just didn't have the mindfulness that, to use a modern, more modern term for it to, to know that I, that, Hey, eventually I'm going to want to do more. You know, I have these interests. And so you, the big lesson is like, don't wait, start doing that stuff. Start making your thing, start putting those down, you know, those ideas, write your stuff. Don't just think I'm going to do this one thing. Always keep working on all of your skills that you, you know, were doing. And that's why like, like for Calis, for instance, if I had stuck around and went there three more years, would I have fallen in love then with the story side because I knew about the animation side from just messing around with it. Yeah. And I, at my time at Pixar, I learned about story, you know, taking Robert McKee's class and Joe Ramp had a, he did a class for us early, early on, like a Bugs Life era where he taught us and we got to do storyboards with him. And so it always been bits of it, but I did, didn't continue on my own. So, um, you know, and then drawing skills. I, I didn't really draw every day like I used to draw. So all this stuff is like starting the engine up, getting, you know, warming the engine up again, like getting back into it. So anyway, so I was just getting to that point where I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I do this? And then you're trying to navigate a system and, you know, keep your career going. And um, it, it just became, uh, you know, apparent to me that, you know, I, and I, gotta, I, I should start thinking about how I'm going to make this happen. And so I started to look at every option, you know, and when, um, when I, I talked to Brad Lewis, I, I'd, I'd reached out to him once because again, I knew him from Cars 2. And my kids were obsessed over the, the How to Train Your Dragons series, <laughs> especially my daughter. So when I saw he was uh, directing on that, I, uh, I, um, I said, or producing, I'm sorry, producing on that. On three, I said, this is fantastic. You know, congratulations, we'll be the first in line. And we started talking and he said, oh, bring him by, you know? So I went to say hi to him and, uh, and, um, that kind of started that conversation over a, a period of time. 
And then um, eventually it just got to the point where I said, I'm looking to grow, you know? And so we, we talked about what, what, what we could do. And so that's kind of how I got there. And when I saw what they were, we were, they were building in their track record and I know Brad and I saw the other people that they were, you know, talking about getting, that it just felt like this is a really wonderful thing. And because the whole goal was to kind of take all the best stuff about the studio systems he's worked and every everywhere i think and use the best part of that but now try to tie it into a modern way of making films um with modern you know resources yeah. and covid vetted <laughs> ways of working <laughs> right. at home well so. i i want you to do like a little like close notes on what spires but would you say that you know your career is based off of uh getting opportunities and just jumping on them and then seeing them through because it sounded like maybe not regrets, but you wish you had started uh, this directing story path a little earlier or, or had, like you said, mindfulness along the way more, but maybe yeah. you wouldn't have had the career you did if you were, you know, splitting your mind between these two things and trying to make it in this one area while, you know, doing your day job in the other area. You wouldn't be sleeping over at Pixar. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, so yeah. how, how would you, if you were to go back and do it over again, how would you tell Sean to do it over again, I guess, if you even want to. I mean, it sounds like you're ending up in a pretty good place that you intentionally want. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I think the only thing I would, I would probably tell myself is, you know, it, it's just always going to be great to like continue your passion projects on the side. Don't, like I was, I, you know, the thing was we just loved what we did and we, we were all friends. And so it was just like, we were all in it for that film. And so we just, you know, obsessed. So I don't, yeah, I don't know what I would, I mean, probably just be a yeah, trader just say, working on your own stuff at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, and you get, well, and I, and I will say too, there, there's something to be said about, you know, I think one of the challenges was being up here was great, but it was also, there was always this, you know, pluses and minuses to both. And, you know, you can't regret it. I don't really regret it. It's more of a sense of like, you know, now, how could I do something know. better? Yeah. yeah, now I know. How would I do it better? And so um, part of it was that you were in this wonderful place, but you start to kind of just have that way of doing it. And I would start to see people come in and they would bring new ideas because they've been around, they've been in different places and you start to envelop those ideas. So what one of the great things now is that I'm seeing is that I'm talking to everyone out there and you're seeing the full scope of what, is going on. So I think people who were working in LA probably bounced around a bit more. And I think every time you kind of, you take those risks and those challenges, it, it, uh, you learn something, you, yeah. you, you kind of, you grow, Expand you know, through, through that. Even in that, in that area. Yeah, definitely. So they're both great. You know, they're both yeah. ways are great. So, so tell me about Spire, like what exactly is Spire trying to do now that, you know, you just joined and, and, uh, you know, hopefully this is the thing that you love and, and can see through your passion. What, what is, what is Spire? Tell me about this. <clears throat> well, um, we, you know, we're going to hope to be a boutique studio, you know, and making, uh, our own films, original films. And a lot of studios will do it the front end only. We're actually, we're doing animation as well um, with our team, our own team. And so we want, you know, one of the big things we're trying to do is um, not have the overhead of, you know, what are, what are ways to be more 
cost-effective and to make a, a you know films for a, mo- a modern way of the industry is working now with streaming and hopefully we'll get theater theatrical runs. That's, that's that definitely something we want to do is have some sort of theatrical run, but um, how can we lean into, you know, cut the bloat, cut the, cut the waste stuff we do, you know, and get in there. So one of the things is the unreal engine, everyone's been, a lot of people are tapping into this now. So we're hoping to do the same thing and, and, and find a way to crack that way of working more effectively, more collaboratively, and um, you know, part of the challenge is that it's how do you all work together without moving the ground under each other's feet? So how can you do that in a smart way? So you kind of have to tiptoe in that. So we're doing that. The idea is to have our machines like a cloud, use a, use a cloud-based you know machine kind of session. So we don't we won't have it all here. We'll have it you know somewhere else. And um, so you don't have like have a no big job. office space for everybody working. Everybody's working from home. Right now, because we right now we don't have our crew up yet. We're, there's only like, you know, a, a handful of us now that are working together. And we're somewhere in LA. I'm in the Bay Area, so, you know. So, so are somewhere you like here? Is your is a goal right now is to like sell to a broadcaster or a streaming network like a a, a feature film idea and get the funding to start producing one? Well, we have two two films out now that we have we, we have scripts for, and so there's um, Brad's, you know, you know, showing them them around and yeah it's like it's the idea is to kind of partner with somebody and but uh, you know not to uh not to uh give away creative control as much as possible and and have the ability to to make really great films we believe in um and have have a you know i think of the disney pixar model of working together that steve you know always you know got going and, and that was a good relationship and so um, can we find something similar? And um, so, yeah, we're just right now we're building. And so we were not even going to really start building up on the animation side until probably late in the year or next year. So right now we're, we're just getting into building our story teams yeah. and, and putting our boards together. And so that's all going full steam ahead yeah. as we look to make these films. And so... Well, congratulations. Also, that sounds exciting and very scary because, you know, starting a new studio, I mean, you're a bunch of super talented people. Um, so I'm sure that's got a lot of clout in the in the industry. Well, uh, it's been amazing listening to your career and journey. Is there anything else that you wanted to share as we're as we're wrapping up here? No, this is great. It's always fun. And I'm hopefully, you know, this, you know, got some, you know, people listening got something out of this, you know, I mean, well, I did. <laughs> it's nice so, to look back to. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you and uh, all the best with, um, you know, Spire and, and this new career path. I think that's really cool that you, you, you realized what you wanted to do took, you know, and took a strategic path and the risk to do it. And now you're, you're well on your way. I think that's awesome. Well, thanks, Terry. It was so nice of you to have me and always enjoy talking. Excellent. All right. Well, all the best. Take care. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.